In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here's a question you've probably asked uh, in one form or another uh, many times in life. Uh, And it's probably a question we've asked uh, in many forms, one way or another. Uh, Whether you follow Jesus or not, whether you're young or you're old, uh, whether you state it this particular way or you state it another way, whether you feel it clearly or not, we have all asked this question in one form or another. The question is this, why doesn't God do something about that? Why doesn't God do something about that? Uh, For most of us, honestly, we don't don't have to think very hard uh, to come up with a lot of that's there, right? We don't have to to think about lots of things that fall in that category. We just, we live in that place where we often ask that question, why doesn't God do something about that? Like, like why doesn't God do something about this thing? For some of you um, sitting there, um, you're feeling like, like, why why doesn't God do something to that? And that, that is sitting next to you, maybe. For some of you, the that is back at home <laughs> or, or maybe downstairs in, in the kid's place where I'm not dealing with them right now, you know. For some of you, that that is a boss you work with, uh, somebody you work next to, same, same cubicle, maybe you share a desk with them. Um, the that can be lots of things. But seriously, we don't have to come uh, go very far to think about things that fall in that category that are not just the silly stuff we just kind of talked about. There are lots of that's in our lives where we ask this question, why doesn't God do something about that? Because it doesn't make sense to me. In all those places in our lives where things are broken, where nothing works right, uh, where, where it feels like miracles don't come, where answers aren't clear or obvious to us, where, where perhaps God seems distant, and yet we know in every one of those circumstances God could do something. But it seems like he's not. Like, why doesn't God do something about when we're struggling to find a job, though Though we've been asking for and seeking direction, knocking on doors and, and putting out resumes? Why doesn't God do something about that friend or that family member who is far from God, who we've been praying for and, and talking to and, and seeking out? And maybe inviting to church. And it seems like they just keep getting farther away. Why isn't God doing something about uh, the pregnancy plans that that aren't working? uh, The addiction that I can't beat? The sickness that continues to ravage my body? The depression or the discouragement uh, that I, I just can't shake? Why, why isn't God in the middle of that mess answering those questions? It seems like he's waiting. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> but he's waiting. This is a real struggle in our lives because we know on the one hand that God can. <laughs> if he's omniscient, if he knows everything, if he's omnipotent, if he has all power, th- then, then we believe that he can do something in those struggles But it seems like he doesn't. Where is God when he doesn't make sense, when he seems to be late, when he's not meeting my needs here and now today in the ways that I expect, that I desire, that I am sure that I actually need? (laughs) There's a great passage in John where 
this issue comes up. And it comes up in a, in a way that may not be totally obvious at first if you, if you know this passage. Jump in with me at John 11. We've got a lot to cover here, so we're going to move through quite a few scriptures. We're going to skip a few here and there and hit some highlights. But it starts out like this. Now a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus. And it says he was of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. You see, Lazarus and Mary and Martha are siblings, and they live in this suburb of Jerusalem called Bethany. And we are introduced to the conflict in the story here right from the get-go in verse 1. It says he is ill, he is sick. A certain man, Lazarus, was sick. So, because of that conflict, verse 3, the sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent to him, we're we're, we're going mid-context here, so they sent to Jesus, they sent to Jesus and they said this, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love is ill. Now press pause for just a second here. Notice Mary and Martha, they don't say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. They say, he whom you love is sick. The one who you love is sick. The relationship between Jesus and between Lazarus is apparently so close, they don't even have to use his name. (laughs) But I think, actually, there's a little more than meets the eye here. And because of the context that we'll continue to color in as we go here, I think Mary and Martha aren't quite as innocent in this as it seems. John is known to have layers of meaning in a lot of what he says. And so Mary and Martha here aren't quite as as innocent as it may seem at first here. Here's what I mean. Here are Mary and Martha, sisters, brother Lazarus. They know Jesus well. They believe he is the Messiah. They believe he's the anointed one of God who holds in his hands the fullness of the power of God. So they know full well what Jesus can do for their brother who is sick. They know full well what Jesus can do for their brother who is sick, this one whom he loves. And so they approach Jesus like this, Lord, Lord. In other words, the anointed one of God who holds all all power in his hand, your beloved friend, your good buddy, Jesus, (laughs) that best friend of yours, the one you so obviously love, he is sick. They don't ask for help. They don't issue Jesus an invitation. They don't say, hey, Jesus, we've got this problem and we know you can fix it. And we're just beside ourselves with grief and we'd like to know perhaps if you could come help us. They just come right out and say, this friend whom you love is sick. So you're obviously going to come heal him, right? That's the implication. You are going to come and heal our brother, right? They say, Jesus, this friend whom you love is sick. So you're obviously going to heal him, right? They don't even put the right part on the end. That that moment of of asking, (laughs) there's no question for Mary and Martha. They assume from the get-go that Jesus is going to come fix Lazarus. To do otherwise would be inconceivable. Hashtag Princess Bride. So, So get this. Mary... And Martha are assuming from the get-go that their expectations of God's timing are the right ones. 
They're expecting from the get-go, they know exactly what's going to happen. Their expectation of God's timing is what they're operating from. They know Jesus is going to come fix them. Here's part of how I know this, and I'm not just making this up. Keep reading. Verse 4, he says this, but, but, this word but here is what we call an adversative, by the way. It strikes a contrast from what came before. You already intuitively know when you hear somebody say, but, that something different's going to happen here. It's like when somebody says the congregation wanted the sermon to last, you know, 20 minutes, but the preacher went 35. You know, <laughs> this is different than these expectations. So, back to the text. Mary and Martha assumed Jesus is coming to heal their brother's sickness. But when Jesus heard it, when he heard their request, that was really actually an assumption of timing, he said... And this isn't the answer they wanted. In fact, Jesus, in fact, he, he, he introduces a new category for them for this one. It says, this illness does not lead to death. This illness, it here, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Notice what's going on here in this. Because this isn't something we learned in, in the flannel graphs in Sunday school class as a kid. Jesus says this sickness is for the glory of God. So that purpose statement, purpose clause, so that the Son of God, Jesus speaking here, so that I, he says, may be glorified through it. This is an entirely new category for them and for us here. Mary and Martha are freaking out. Jesus says, listen, I know what's going on. I know what's going on. The Father is in complete control, and I am here with the fullness of His power to show you that even though it's different than what you want or what you expect or what you understand, and this is key because we want and we expect and we understand things about and from God, from our limited human understanding, from our flesh, even though it's different than you want or understand or expect, Jesus says, I am here, He says, to say that everything, even... Death is in submission to God's purposes and glory. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We run into trouble because we are often sitting around waiting for God to do something for us when often really in God's economy, in God's reckoning of time and purpose, He mostly wants to do something in us. Let me say that again. It's a little complicated, but I think this is key. I think this is key. We often easily run into trouble (laughs) because we're sitting around waiting for God to do something for us. But really, in God's economy, from his perspective, in his timing, in his reckoning of time and purpose, he mostly wants to do something in us. Because he has to work in us if he's going to work through us. So instead of sitting around waiting for God to do something for us, maybe we should learn to be people who allow him to work in us so that he can work through us so that we can see his glory made known now. Because when people's hearts change, when they become someone who is worked in and through them for God, his glory is made known. 
God doesn't do things on our timetable, according to our schedule, based on our expectations. He does things for a purpose that's much larger than we understand. He does things (laughs) for His glory. And there is often, and now we're preaching, a huge gulf between our expectations and God's purposes. And that's the lesson He's teaching Mary and Martha and us here. Jesus is saying, uh, there's an entirely new category here, Mary and Martha, that you're not seeing. I, I know you want your brother healed. I know you love him. I know you're grieving for him. But, but, this isn't actually about your brother being healed. This is perhaps about you learning to follow me, Jesus speaking. Uh, This is about you learning to follow me closely and to trust me entirely. This is about learning to trust that God the Father's plans and his glory moving forward are what is happening even in this sickness, which is hard. I mean, let's admit out loud, let's say it, this is hard. And it's why even though uh, you may be in a waiting season yourself, I've experienced many waiting seasons where answers don't come quickly or easily or in the way you expect or in the way you hope, in the way you are sure you need. (laughs) The truth of the matter is that if this is all about the glory of God, then it is about God's glory being formed in and communicated through you. Which means shifting our perspective. We were created to learn in submission to the truth of God's glory as the purpose for our very breathing. And that's more important in God's economy than us getting what we want or what we think we need. So, back to the story. The story gets even more complicated here because think about this. We're going to jump into the text in just a second. Stick with me here. Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. And then when he hears that, he stays where he was. Healing other people. Doing his work for other people, not Lazarus. You know, he's just staying there for an additional couple days. Doing his work, being Jesus. And during that time when he stays there, that's when Lazarus dies. So, so not only has he not come in time to heal Lazarus from the sickness in the first place, he is now dead. Which means at this point, for Mary and Martha, it feels personal. It feels like you knew and you didn't come. This is when you have some sort of personal grief or, or, or crisis and a friend or a family member, somebody you love, a pastor, somebody you trust isn't there when you need them. This is what you experience when you're grieving and people aren't there for you as, as, you, as you need. That's the situation with Mary and Martha and Jesus. Okay, so check this out. Verse 17, jump back into the text here. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, meaning he was on his way and he came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb, it says, four days. This is a significant thing that that John points out. um, Because not only had Lazarus died, he'd been in the tomb for four days. 
He points this out because in the ancient Near East, in that culture, they had a superstition uh, that the spirit hovered over the body for three days. Okay? Uh, So that they thought maybe for those three days there was hope that the person's spirit could re-enter the body and that they would be alive again. They they were there waiting for Jesus, thinking that maybe that that could be the case because of that tradition. It's sort of like, you know, in Princess Bride when Wesley is, you know, not really dead, but he's only mostly dead, that one. Um, They thought the person could be revived up to three days, but at this point, after the third day, it was game over. It was like, it's done, it's over, go home. (laughs) So at this point, they're like, good job, Jesus. Thanks for your help. Um, There's no hope. Everybody go home. They're feeling like, Jesus, you failed us. You didn't show up. You weren't there in our need. So keep reading. Verse 20. Jump down a few verses to to verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. This is significant. But Mary remained seated in the house. Notice when John says here, he says, Jesus was coming. In other words, he's on his way to meet them. It says, but Martha went out to meet him. <laughs> now, given the context, given the situation, I don't think Martha just kind of, kind of sauntered out to Jesus. She's not whistling and skipping, you know. I think she marched with a vengeance. You know what I'm saying? Like a vengeance. I'm going to give that Jesus, that Messiah guy, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. You know what I'm talking about because we've all experienced this. It's when you're planning the conversation in your head on the way and you're saying everything right then, you know, perfectly. (laughs) It's perfect in our planning and in our heads, right? You're planning the conversation in your head and you say everything perfectly and you say it in the conversation in your pre-planned speech with all the power and the conviction of, you know, I have a dream on the Lincoln uh, Memorial steps. And the other person listens to you and they just go, yes, you're right, you're amazing, I am wrong, and the sun rises and sets with your words. So this is kind of going on for her as she's approaching Jesus. And notice that in the next part here, in the next verse, when she sees him, there's no like, hey, good to see (laughs) you. No pleasantries. This is Martha, hand on hip, pointing straight at Jesus, saying this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. <laughs> this is, this is the, the, the raw human emotion of you weren't here for me when I needed you. You weren't here for me in my time of grief. You weren't he- here to, to help me fix it. And it's been four days in the tomb now, Jesus. It's a little late for your arrival now. It's a little it's a little over and done with. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which is just the first part of her speech. You know, she comes with this prepared speech in her head. And she's sure that she is going to to bring down the truth on Jesus. I, I mean, I really think that's the kind of emotion that she felt here. But look at the turn. Look at the turn, the next phrase. Look at verse 22. She could only get out the first, <laughs> she only muster the first part of her prepared speech, and then she says, but, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And friends, this is, this is actually where we live. I don't understand. You haven't answered my prayer. You haven't fixed the issue. 
You aren't showing up, Lord, in this struggle. I don't understand. I don't understand. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Even in the parts I don't know about, don't have answers to, still experience a suffering and pain, even then, I still trust you. Friends, I think that God wants to do something bigger in us than we realize. And that something bigger is a new life now where Jesus is formed in us now and where God's goodness and glory are increasingly flowing through us now. Which is to say living a redeemed, resurrected life in Jesus only happens through cross. I mean, listen to Jesus. Just a second ago, there's no hope. <laughs> Lazarus is dead. And yet, she says, but even now you could do this. You can do this. Jesus says to her, verse 23, keep reading, let's move on. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And first, Martha doesn't quite understand. She says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, Jesus. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I get all the theological mumbo jumbo. He's in a better place. She's no longer suffering. It's all those kinds of things we say to people to comfort them, you know, in, in a moment of grief. And they're true, but she thinks Jesus is giving her one of those. Your brother will rise again. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know he's going to rise again someday. Thanks for the hope, Jesus. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection someday. But I'm talking about today, Jesus. This is what I need. And look, look at what he says. He says to her, verse 25, he says, no, 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 listen. You're not hearing what I'm saying. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? He looks at her in her moment of pain and distress and grief and not having answers and feeling like God is not showing up. He's showing up late after the deal is done. And he says, do you believe that I am new life? This is what he asks us when God seems late. Do you believe that I am new life? This is what he asks us when God seems late, when he seems distant, when it feels like he has forgotten us. He asks us, yes, yes, but do you believe that I am new life? Here, today, now, even in those moments. Do you believe that being with me, that following me, that trusting me now is going to bring Real life, new life, forever life now. Jesus is saying, because listen, resurrection isn't an event by itself. It was that, it will be that, but it is who Jesus is and it's what God is doing. Resurrection is just who Jesus is 
and what God does in people. Which is why it didn't even matter at this point whether Lazarus is physically alive or dead. (laughs) What matters, Jesus says, is that at, at some level, what matters is that Lazarus might have been physically dead, but he is spiritually resurrected no matter what. That God's will and most perfect plan for Lazarus has been achieved already. So in in a sense, Jesus is like, it doesn't even matter if he's alive or dead. What God wants to do in Lazarus to give him new life forever has happened. Don't you see that? He loves and follows me. Martha. So resurrection is what happens when people who seem alive but are actually dead come to realize they've been the walking dead and that true life, new life, is only found in following what Jesus offers which is resurrection. The shift in thinking is something Martha begins to see a little bit here. This is why she says this in verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I believe, Lord, that you have larger purposes than I do, that you have different timetables perhaps than me, that your goals are different than my expectations. Which is why she says, yes, you are Lord. You are Christ. You are making resurrection happen in the world. And the story could end there. (laughs) Uh, The story could end there. But to demonstrate that indeed Jesus' power was from God and that he was doing something uh, more than Mary and Martha and any of them could understand, he showed what resurrection looks like by raising Lazarus from the dead. Which is meant to be a picture and example of of the God-formed-in-us resurrection that Jesus came to do in us. I think this story is about uh, a change in perspective. Is God late? (laughs) Or is his timing tied to a larger perspective we don't have? That's not a fun truth because it doesn't provide answers for all the questions we have about why and when. (laughs) But God's timing is tied to a larger perspective that we don't have. Which means in the meantime, until the whys and the whens are clear for us and answered well, here's what we do know. God wants to do something in you more than he wants to do for us what we want or expect. We don't know um, from the text what God wanted to do in Mary or in Martha's life. We don't really know in the story. But there was something. There was something about seeing the glory of God that they needed to learn. I think the lesson is that instead of God doing something to change that thing, because see, that's, that's how we approach him, right? Like, like, why aren't you doing something about that thing, <laughs> about that? The lesson is that instead of God doing something to change that thing out there with that person, with that situation, what God wants to do most is to change this thing in here with this person. 
And it's, it's too easy. <laughs> and it doesn't change us enough when we live life waiting for out there to always change instead of in here. God's glory isn't merely shown in changing that thing or that situation there, but even in this situation, he is made known. I think for me in this story, one last verse, the takeaway, the takeaway is John 1140. We'll put this on screen for you here. John 1140. He says this phrase, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe that God can leverage even the hard things and the things we don't understand, which is true in all of our lives, there are lots of hard things that we don't understand. If you believe that God can leverage even those for His purposes, you will see His glory. If, If you think that God's late, and in our accounting He may be. If you think that He's late, Keep looking for His glory. Even when things aren't working right, even when the miracle you're praying for isn't happening, even when it feels like everything in life is messed up and broken and the circumstances aren't working for you as you hope or as you pray or as you've worked or even as you sense that you need, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And often His glory is seen in us, in what He wants to do in us, instead of something just for us as we understand it. So the question is, Lord, while I'm sitting here waiting for the clarity of why and when, what am I supposed to be learning about You? Who am I supposed to be through this? What quality of your perfection and your character and nature that you display infinitely and perfectly? What what part of that am I supposed to learn while I wait for the whys and the whens? Because when we ask that question, we will continue to see Him formed in us and His glory made known through us. Like if we, if we prayed for God's glory to be continually seen in us and not just for us, maybe our perspective about what God is doing might be a little different. If we were praying for God's glory to be seen in us, and demonstrated through us, and not just done for us, maybe our perspective about what God is doing might be a little different. Maybe the hard things, though they won't be less hard, though there won't be perfect answers, maybe they might be understood as ways that God forms His goodness in us. Father in heaven, we give you ourselves anew because it's clear that in so many areas of our lives, 
We don't have answers of why or when. We impose expectations and timing that may not line up with yours.